Welcome to the Awe and Wonder podcast. We are in our third series and we're talking about literacy. Today we're so excited because we have a literacy team with us. So um, this, I'm Sarah Kinsella. And I'm Brenda Del Monte. And we're joined by Ashley and Lauren. So um, why don't you guys start by introducing yourselves and tell us a little bit about um, who you are and what you do and then we'll we'll get right into it. Sure, yeah, I'll jump in. Um, my name is Ashley Laracy. I'm a speech and language pathologist. I've been practicing for um, about 13 years now. Um, I have had a lot of different roles. Um, more recently, I have shifted more into um, working in private practice and consulting and different speaking engagements. I'm very passionate about AAC and literacy, but um, Lauren and I have worked very closely together for the past several years um, in the classroom, supporting AAC users with access to, you know, robust AAC systems and literacy and all of those good things. So I'm very happy to be here. Yes, that's exactly what we want to hear about. That's great. Yeah. Okay, Lauren. My name is uh, Lauren Fur, and I am a special education teacher. Um, I have been an ed- special education teacher now for 15 years. And um, I currently teach in like the Southwest suburbs of Chicago. Um, I teach this year or for the past like seven or eight years, I've been in the high school setting, um, grades nine through 12, Mm -hmm. but I have taught, you know, younger kiddos as well. Um, and I am just loving it in the high school, um, and have really, um, come to enjoy incorporating and implementing all the literacy, uh, with our older students. And one of the reasons why we were so excited about your team is because you work with older kids. And I think it's really important to um, highlight what does literacy and AAC instruction look like with the older student? How are we providing age respectful materials and content, even if they're still emergent readers or writers, right? And how do we, how are we helping them stay, you know, how, how are we holding everyone accountable to the age respectful piece? So I am so glad to have the secondary team here. This is exciting, but we always want to stay student focused. So we want to ask you right off the start, just, um, we want to know maybe a personal story of who made you realize that all students need opportunities for literacy instruction. And I know you're like, whenever we ask these kind of questions, people say, there's too many to choose from. But I think um, we really want to know, like, who were your special people that made you go, wow, if he yeah. can do that, if she can do this, I, I've been lowballing, right? Like we've all had those moments where we're like, I thought I presumed competency. I thought I presumed potential. And then this guy blows my mind. So the bar has been raised. So who comes to mind with that, with that question, um, Lauren? So I, um, I had a student and she actually was, um, she came from Jordan. She came from a different country. Um, so English was not her first language and she joined our program. She was a freshman. And so when she came over, um, her English was, was very limited. Um, she did not have a robust form of, uh, communication at all. And so we just kind of started like hit the ground running. Um, Ashley was, 
all up in it right away, helping, um, making sure, you know, she had a device. We did have um, a translator to kind of help us, you know, hit the ground running. Um, she actually just graduated this year after four years. And I will tell you, she just she was amazing. Um, she Ashley, if you wanted to add anything on with her, I know that you work closely with her. Um, I I worked with her in um in our classroom with Lauren Sheehan, and then she was uh Lauren Sheehan's uh was her case manager and her teacher. Yeah. Wow. I think when I think about that particular student, I think about um she really just developed this love of reading. She yeah. developed such a love of literacy and a love of letters and books and all of these different things. And we used a lot of different strategies to kind of get get her interested in a lot of those different things. One thing that we did a lot with her was created a lot of personalized books where it was her picture and it was her going around and doing different things. And it was, you know, she could go and talk about that and show that to other people. But then when you pair that with the text and she was able to, you know, kind of follow along and show people about what it was that, you know, say we made, there was one time that we had made a book about they were going to prom and it was like the different dresses (laughs) that I would wear at a prom, you know, and so we made this book and we picked out different dresses on uh, Google images and we transposed them on her body, you know, but it was then we heard this really rich text. And I, I mean, I remember walking with her into Lauren's room because she wanted to show everybody her book. She's like, look at this book. This is me. This is me in my different dresses. So just, you know, she left us like really loving, really loving to read and loving to loving to learn to read. And so, yeah, that's. That's such a great example. I think that for me, whenever I think about this question, I I think I tell the same story every time, but it's because it's just the truth. It's, it's just really what I think opened my eyes. You know, I started working with high school kids. It was about, I would say 10 years ago. And Mm -hmm. you know what, what happened like time after time, year after year, kids would graduate. Right. And when kids graduate, I noticed this trend of some of them finding me on social media. They would search, seek me out and they would friend me on Facebook and they're looking for me on Instagram. And I'm like, what's going on? But you think about the, there's a couple underlying things there, right? It's this underlying idea of that. Everybody wants social connection with other people. Absolutely. They, uh, they're socially connected with me. I worked with them for four years. I like to think I'm a good time and I'm fun. Right. Right. <laughs> they wanted to stay connected with me. Right. But the only reason that they could find me is because they could type in my name. The only reason that they could find me on Facebook and on Instagram and all these different social media yeah. channels, is because they could type in Ashley Laracy and they could scroll down and look and find me. Right. And I think that just because we have kids who can't yet do that, that doesn't mean that they don't desire that connection. That, and they don't, they don't have that. They don't have that if we aren't really working to give them you know, robust instruction in literacy so that they're able to stay socially connected with other people. And so when I think about literacy, that's, that's what I think about. You know, I think that some people think that it's not functional and that it's not um, something that we need to be working on anymore. But I think that it's just, um, it's just a violation of their rights. They have the right, they have the right to be able to socially connect with other people and communicate with Mm -hmm. other people and literacy so entwined into communication. You just can't parse those two things out. So it's, it's, you can't, you know, Karen Erickson, you can't do AAC without literacy. You just can't. You yeah, can't. So I think that, that was for me, I think what really kind of drove things home. 
I mean, I love everything you just said, because I feel like, it, it, you know, AAC is about communication and human connection, right? Yeah. And if human connection in so much of the adult world is through social media and through text mm-hmm. some way or another, right? And through messaging, through snap, through this and that, but it's still text most of the time. And I mean, even just being able to spell your name, like they, so let's say that they can't spell, you know, um, trigonometry, but they can, they know A, S, H. And then when those words come up, they have the sight word recognition skills and that's the human connection. So you think about just some basic literacy skills of first letter and sight word recognition skills and how that gets you so far in that human connection piece on social media. So I love, love that perspective. In my class, we, um, we practice doing um, FaceTime, right? And so all Mm -hmm. of the uh, teachers and students are one-to-one with iPads. And when we call or when we've practiced calling, we practice calling by typing in our name. And so I may or may not have had a couple of FaceTime butt dials in the middle of the night from some of my students. Um, but you know, it's just, again, it's like that connection or maybe like a string of letters with a text message on the remind app. Um, yeah. Yeah, I love that you guys are practicing FaceTime and, and yeah, exactly. Another good example of that text and the social piece. And even with your student, you talked about before Lauren, that she, and Ashley, you said you made it personalized to her at the end of the day, she wanted to go share that story with someone, right? That was that connection. I just love that. I love the idea of autobiographical fiction and nonfiction. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I'm yeah. pretty sure autobiography is supposed to be, you know, nonfiction. But I mean, come on. Uh, the, the autobiographical fiction is imagination. It's creativity. It tells us so much about their personalities and, and their dreams. And it makes them so relatable to the general ed population even. So that's such um, a powerful way to introduce literacy and also make it meaningful. Why do letters matter to me? Why do words letter matter to me? Why do books matter to me? Oh, because they're about me. That's right. pretty, that's a, that is not a stretch. I mean, like we're not trying to, you're not um, trying to make up reasons why this matters to you. It, it matters to you right now. Look at the variety of prom dresses, right? Who wore it best? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I yeah. love that. So we've talked about text and spelling and how essential that is and how it literacy and communication are just in you know they're with each other all the time um what are some other guiding principles that you guys have learned along the way sure so um I actually just got back from Isaac um spending the week with uh Dr. Karen Erickson, or, or like I was kind of fangirling with oh, her for sure. Um, yes, <laughs> you. We still haven't got her on this show, yeah. and we can't wait to someday. <laughs> yes, we would be fangirling over her as well. She, um, you know, it goes back to the um, like the four questioning, the four uh, questions that determine whether a student is like an emergent reader mm-hmm. or a conventional um, reader. Can you remind the listeners of this podcast in case they're that's new to them what those questions are? Um, so the there's four questions that Dr. Erickson um, has people start with, and it's do most of the um, do does the student or the learner know most of the letters most of the time? 
Um, are they engaged actively during reading? Have they, do they have a means of communication um, and interaction? And do they understand that writing involves letters and words? The important thing to make note with this is you need to have all four of them be a yes. And if that's the case, then they're like a daily conventional um, uh, reader. And you can, some of the interventions would include uh, using guided reading, the anchor read apply strategy, um, using like the word study, continue to practice with writing and self-directed reading, um, and then communication with symbols and of course, spelling. <clears throat> now, if a student or a learner, um, you know, even if they know three of the four questions, if there's a no in there, that's okay. Um, from there, you would kind of practice the shared reading. You would practice writing with the predictable chart writing. Uh, you would emphasize an alphabet and phonological awareness. Um, make sure to encourage and implement independent writing with an access to a full alphabet. Um, you don't have to use like your conventional keyboard or writing utensil. Make sure that you're incorporating alternative pencils, um, mm -hmm. what, you know, whatever that may be. Um, and then symbol-based communication, um, you know, with a few, with a few exceptions, um, but just really pumping up that literacy, really pumping up the, the alphabet and, um, I've learned to just really take data, take pictures, because as you know, as you start, when you um, start looking at like a picture portfolio of work, it's incredible how far students come, whether it's, you know, just making a mark on a paper to forming a letter to, oh, that letter D starts for the, you know, the word dog. And I want to tell you about my dog. Um that's really good advice just to, and it helps them see it too, right? Where look where we, what you were doing before and all the letters and the Right, words. right. Yeah. And it's a process, right? This isn't going to just happen overnight. Um, this isn't going to happen in a couple of months, but when you really start doing this portfolio portfolio and you start incorporating the, the letters and the literacy with fidelity, I mean, it's, it's absolutely amazing what, what students and learners can do. And you don't have to start it, you know, start anytime, right? You don't have to start when they're just in kindergarten. By the time they come to me in ninth grade, do I wish they had more literacy skills? Of course I do, but it doesn't mean that I'm not going to start it like right now, you know? Yeah. Well, and I would say that's, that's something that I, I was um, doing a training yesterday with someone and they were like, well, he's 10. He's, he's only, um, he only knows 20, 20 of his letters. So I think we're just shifting to life skills. Mm. And I was like, huh, uh, he's 10. I mean, right. he has potentially 11 more years in school if he goes through 21. I don't know how the Chicago system works. And I know every state's a little different about what transition from 18 to 21 looks like. But you know what I'm saying? Like, I was like, wow. So what I think I loved about what you said, too, is like, and if some of those are a no that doesn't mean we're not doing literacy. You right. know, what I mean? that means we know which ones, which areas to target, right? Those right. are guiding principles in the sense that these, this is guiding me on what the literacy instruction looks like, not guiding me out of literacy, <laughs> right? Right, right. So um, have you ever met someone that it was too late to teach? Oh, no. I'm asking an obvious question, but I have to say that that's, that's, there's an assumption there around those um, upper grades that it's too late to teach that and that we just want quality of life and we just want, and guess what? Quality of life is literacy. 
Mm-hmm. Well, in upper grades, I mean, I'm even thinking of like individuals who are, you know, out of the school system now, right? And they do want to make a connection with a friend or a family member, um, you know, who they went to school with years ago. Everybody has the right to literacy and mm-hmm. to get that that social communication um, right. component. Where the other the other part that really, um, you know, kind of blew me away was the um, the comprehensive literacy for all the text, mm-hmm. the text. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> there, when we do our uh, with with our scheduling as teachers, um, really ensuring that it's one hundred at least one hundred and twenty minutes of literacy instruction mm-hmm. a day. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can do more, fantastic. But that's going to be kind of our minimum goal. That really, you know, I sat back and was thinking, you know, like, well, of course I do 120 minutes, but when you sit down and you really like analyze is what I'm doing considered, you know, literacy, you know, best practice with literacy. Oh my gosh. It's just, there's not enough time in a day. So I think that's one thing that I would really appreciate, you know, people understanding is there's never too much literacy. Just keep, keep you know, introducing and sharing and guiding. Um, right. Well, and I love that you said literacy instruction, because it's not 120 minutes of literacy entertainment. Right. You know what I'm saying? There's a difference between there. It's high print. Okay. The video, the, this, the, that, but then there's like literacy instruction is 120 minutes and that's a lot. And you have to drop other things to fit that in. If, if that's not the way your schedule is set up now. Right. And it also can be embedded within other things that people are doing. You know, I think that that's one area that when, when you give that that statistic, when you give that number, right, when you give that number to people, they are like, not, not a chance. It's not Mm -hmm. happening. There's no way. And then it can feel, I think for some people, it can be like, well, then I'm just not going to do it at all. You know, I think we've all met people who are kind of those like all or nothing thinkers Mm -hmm. on that kind of, you know, either or mindset. Um, that if, you know, I can't give it, I can't give it 120 minutes that I'm just not going to focus on it at all. You know, I think that especially for those emergent kids that are still working on, you know, embedded instruction, there's this really explicit instruction that we do. That's really systematic. There's a scope and sequence that we're kind of following and going through, um, embedded instruction doesn't necessarily have to look like I'm sitting at a desk and I'm going over my letter names and my letter sounds or that, you know, I'm doing this shared reading experience, you know, embedded instruction can be, we're going to go on a scavenger hunt and we're looking for the letter of the day, A, go around and look at all the signs around school and let's find it. And that could be something that's done during, I've got 10 minutes of downtime between my classes. I'm going to have my TAs or my paraprofessionals or, you know, whatever, whatever role, you know, support that you have in your classroom. And I'm going to have them go and do that. And I've got 10 minutes of embedded instruction there that I've just provided that's connected meaning to what we just did during that explicit time. So I did this really explicit instruction on letter A, but now I'm going to go walk around and find it. And now I see it on the signs in the school and I see it on the menu for lunch and I see it, you know, on an announcement or something like that. And that's that, that's where you get that, um, the connection where the print has meaning. I think that that question on those four questions um, from Dr. Erickson, people are like, well, how do I know? How do I know that they know that print has meaning? That's Mm -hmm. how you're getting, that's how you're finding that out. That's how you're saying like this letter, this word represents this, you know, it actually means something. I think when you start to see kids that are pointing to something and looking at you, like, what does this say? That's your bingo. It's like, yes, this has meaning. You know that this has meaning. We can get a good yes on that question. So 
don't be, I think that just a, just a piece of advice with that is just, if you hear a 20, 120 minutes and you're like, no way. And maybe it isn't 120 minutes. Maybe you start with 60, <laughs> you know, just don't, start. don't right. mindset, right? Like we're going to, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. We're going to build it. And it doesn't have to be, you know, sitting in, it, it's not sit and drill and kill. That's not what it's supposed to be at all. Well, and the other thing I would say is that you're getting up, you're moving, you're regulating a sensory system, you're increasing a level of alertness, you're doing a lot of other things for their body's sensory system when you're up and moving around. And by the way, most of us are up and moving around throughout the day and literacy still matters. It's not compartmentalizing to sit and get, you know, so I love everything that you're saying about those examples. Do you have additional guiding principles Um, I think that for me, one of the biggest ones that comes to mind with guiding principles, and I think, you know, I personally work a lot with really emergent communicators and uh, emergent literacy learners, um, is that sometimes I think that people start with shared reading. I think people say, oh, shared reading. Yes, that's great. I already do that. I do shared reading. We're reading about, and it's like some, some sort of thing that they're reading about, you know, in, in the classroom. I my my word of caution, I think, with that is that when we're working with emergent learners, we've got to keep the development of like intrinsic motivation to learn to read at the top of our mindset. We've got that's got to be at the forefront because if we don't really have that, you know, we don't have this actively active engagement during shared reading. And a lot of kids, that's that question where we can't quite tick that off. We have kids that we know, like they know all their letter names and they know all their letter sounds, you know, and they they can write some simple things. But when it comes to engagement, they're not really engaged during reading. They need some sort of like external reinforcer or something like that. I think that's because we didn't we didn't prioritize that those shared reading experiences have to be things that are really meaningful to that child. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, I, I want to read. I want to read about. I don't know. Um the history of Chicago or something like that. If my student doesn't care about that, I'm missing the mark here. We really have to. And that's why, like I said, with personalized books, I'll make personalized books all day because that's where I'm getting that buy-in. We're like, oh, this is fun. I like to read. I like to talk about what it is that we're talking about. So if you find that you're stuck on shared reading and you find like they're not engaged, they don't really care about what it is that we're reading or, you know, they're not able to make comments about things like that. I would mm-hmm. really caution you to kind of shift your focus to think about think about what matters to that child, right? What can I do to develop this intrinsic motivation to want to learn how to read? Um, mm-hmm. That's something I think that guides a lot of what I do, both as an SLP and teaching language, but also in teaching literacy. And what you're really talking about is in what ways can I make this student directed? Yes. Yes. What's the student ownership here? What? Why do you care about this? Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, love that. Um, you guys are very passionate about AAC and literacy. It's just so fun talking to you because it just radiates that I, I wish I could just peek into your classroom and and watch you guys at work. Um I'm gonna need some footage. Yes. <laughs> what what do you feel most passionate about related to AAC and literacy? Uh, you mentioned emergent, you're doing a lot with emergent reading nationally or mm-hmm. emergent literacy. Um yeah. Yeah. And I I think that, you know, for just as an SLP, and I think that, you know, we've all probably heard this now, but it's that I can never give a kid all the words. I, I just can't, I cannot give them all the words. I can give them the most 
robust system on the market. We can program in words all we want. I, you know, I can, they all program in anything that they want me to program. But at the end of the day, I'm going to run out of room. At the end of the day, there's not, I, I just can't program in every single thing. Um, and so I think about the power that teaching a child how to read and how to write and how to spell, what that gives them as a communicator. Um, and it, that kind of goes back to that original example that I had shared of people being able to look for me on Facebook, you know, mm -hmm. like that, that they're able to look for what they want to look for, you know, and, and, and you think about the ways in which that opens your world in terms of communication, but also it opens your world in a ton of other ways, as far as like learning, learning and continue to learn and continuing to grow. Like how many times a day am I Googling something because I, I want to learn more about it or how many right. times a day you know, am I looking up different things and, um, using text for a variety of different purposes. If I'm looking at a map or if I'm reading a menu, or, you know, all those different things. And so, um, you know, both, both receptively and what we're able to read, but also what AAC users specifically, what they're able to communicate and how literacy opens those doors. I think for me, that's, that's my biggest, um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is like the, the yeah. soapbox, I guess that I would stand on. Right. Like that's, yeah. that's why I think it's so important to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, for me, you know, it's, it's ditto to everything that Ashley was saying. And then a step further would be like the self-advocacy um, component, <clears throat> being able to identify and communicate um, if they have a preference, if they don't have a preference that it's okay to say no, um, you know, it won't, it won't make, you know, hurt anybody's feelings or anything like that. Um, too many times I think our students are pressured to always saying yes. You know, how are you feeling? Good. Do you like this? Yes. No, mm -hmm. it's okay to say no. It's okay to share what your likes are, what you, what you don't like. Um, if you're uncomfortable or in a setting or a situation that you don't feel is safe, you have the right to express that and to share um, your thoughts and your concerns. Mm -hmm. that, this has come up lately a lot with um, conversations we've had. We were doing um, hosting some book club meetings um, about uh, what ghost what ghost boy was ghost boy was one book we read and, and oh, it's a story about yeah. him being kind of trapped in and not being able to be his own self-advocate and now he wrote a book and he so yeah and um, if at birth you don't succeed by Zach Anner it's also I mean he's verbal but um, just all the ways that um, they need to have voice in their bodies, in the treatment of them as human beings, okay. and you know, even what they want to study and what they want to learn about, you know. Yeah. So one of my this one of my pet peeves in high school is when they are doing brown bear. So, um, and if you are um, listening to this, you should have seen their reactions, you guys. <laughs> so, um, if you don't know Brown Bear, good for you. If you do, in it's it's a very basic preschool book, and there's a time and a place for that book. There's nothing wrong with that book, but there is um, a sense that um, that's their favorite book. So that's the one we read all the way up. Is that really student directed? If they haven't been exposed to enough other literature to for us to really know that. What do you guys think about um, people who are like, well, they're emergent, so we are doing Pete the Cat, so we are doing 
um, brown bear. So we're doing this in high school. I think that this is so nuanced. <laughs> I, I think that it's I think that it's really nuanced because I think that we have as as clinicians and as educators, I think that we are trying to balance student led and student directed and you know like voice and choice, right? But right. then we also have this this um concept and idea of like academic rigor and making sure that we're pushing kids and we're constantly pushing them forward and making sure they're learning and that we're, that we're growing and that we're presuming competence and that we've got high expectations for what they're able to do. And there's, I think this almost, sometimes I think there's this like, I don't want to say like a false dichotomy, but it feels like sometimes it's like either or, like either or I'm going to just, we're going to let them read whatever it is that they want to read and let them do whatever they want to do. And if you don't do that, you're not being student centered and you're not being, you know, child led and things like that. And I just don't think that's the case. I think that, I think that, you know, when we think about age respectful, I wrote, I don't, and I don't need to plug this, but I think that it's, I put a lot of work into a blog post that I did for practical AAC and it's called age respectful. And I, I put so much time into it because I do think it's super, super nuanced because we do want to honor what a child and what a learner is interested in. But I think that it's, it's not, we're not doing that child any justice if we're not ever trying to expose, if we're never trying to expose them to new content. Right. So like my favorite, my favorite, okay, let's say my favorite restaurant is McDonald's, but that's the only place that I've ever gone. And that's the only thing that I've ever tried. And mom says, well, Ashley loves McDonald's. We just take her there all the time. You know, we, we're not going to try anything else. She really loves it, but I've never been exposed to anything else. So maybe I really would like Wendy's, but nobody's ever taken me there. Maybe Mm -hmm. I would really like Pizza Hut too, but like, I've never gone there. I've never got to even try it. So how do we know, how do we know that a child is not going to like something if we never even provide any exposure? to it. And so I think that this idea of exposure to age respectful and, you know, those sorts of texts, that's something that isn't, that's something that's not um, a violation of a child's autonomy, I guess is what I'm trying to say. That's not, that's not in my opinion. I don't think it's a violation of a child's autonomy to continue to try to grow and expand their horizons of what they know. I also think that by continuing to do things, say a child really loves Pete the cat and that's fine. You know what? I love that you love Pete the cat. (laughs) That is so, that's so great that you love that. And I'm not going to pass any judgment on that. I really like Disney, you know, and like nobody, (laughs) nobody's judging Mm -hmm. me. You really like Disney. But at the same time, a lot of times I think our learners have really limited world knowledge because they've got limited exposure to different places, to different people, to different times and things like that. So when we're working, when we kind of are making more of a transition from emergent learning to conventional learning, and we're really relying a lot on background knowledge, if we've never provided any exposure to various and diverse texts, to different genres, to different, you know, um, uh, manipulatives, if we've never, if we've just read Pete the Cat, what kind of world knowledge do they have and what kind of background can they kind of pull in and make relation to like, oh, I remember reading about this when I read this with Ashley here and I'm able to make this kind of connection here. Um, So I think that it doesn't have to be either or. I really don't think it does, but it can't just be in 
I, it can't just be Pete the cat. It can't just be brown bear. I think that that's lovely that those are like interests, you know, and I, I don't, I don't think that we should be like pulling those things away, but does that need to be part of our literacy instruction? I'm not sure. You know, I, I don't know. I, it, I think that, I think that it's, it's, it's really nuanced when we think about some of those things. Um, sometimes I feel like I'm on a rant here. <laughs> sometimes I think that people don't know where to look. Yeah. I think that people just don't know where to look. Like they don't know about Tar Heel Reader and they don't know about Epic and they don't know that right. you can make your own book and that it, right. that that could be that buy-in that you really need to get for that child. You know, maybe even just by making small steps. I got somebody that loves Pete the Cat. That's awesome. Let's do Pete the Cat, but then let's build in some like other world knowledge. Maybe I'm making a book about Pete the Cat, but Pete the Cat's going to the Philippines and he's going to try some different foods. He's going to experience some different things. You know, I'm trying to expand a child's horizons and, you know, actually provide some, you know, instruction and teaching in regards to literacy. So the long and short of it is, yeah, I think it's, it's, um, age respectful doesn't mean that I'm not respecting the interests of the child, but age respectful does mean that I, I'm continuing to, to try to give them the background knowledge and the interest in reading so that they, they understand that that's something that they could do to learn. Mm -hmm. I love the idea of stemming it off, like using that character or yeah, I was thinking about the shoe, Pete, the cat in the shoe, the, you know, the shoes. And yes. I was like, what about transitioning that in high school? Um, like what is, what about hookahs? What about dunks? What about Converse? What about Nike? What about exactly. Adidas? Like yes. what about, what about age respectful shoes in yes. that sense? Not that they're not respectful, but, but what it does do the, does the shoes dialogue have to be that um, limited? No. And again, all those Adidas, Nike, Converse, not in the AAC system. So, right. Mostly not. So yes. again, are we, is it Adidas A? Is it Converse C? Is it Nike N? Like, how can I, how can we just do pull something from and almost create parallel experiences where you're expanding language, inserting literacy and making it matter? I love that. And I love what you said, Ashley, about that people sometimes just don't know where to go, where to find things. And that's why I think having conversations like with you two today that we can hear these examples because we know that special educators, whoever you are, have really good intentions, are there for the students. That yes. is what we're all about. Whether we know um, we're getting that 120 minutes in or we're just starting this journey, um, we, you guys, we're all, we're all there for the same reason. And so, hearing examples of, well, sure, I know about Tar Heel Reader, but, oh, I could take that and kind of expand this way, or how am I going to really beef up the background knowledge of my students? I just love this because I don't think we have, you know, enough exposure to being able to listen to these examples. It's, it's getting better because um, with social media and blog posts, we'll have to check out your your post on Practical <laughs> AAC, but we have more opportunities to hear from other people and learn from each other, but I think it's so important that we do. And just to kind of bounce off of what Ashley was saying, um, this was prior to me coming to the high school, but I had taught in the middle school and I had a student who absolutely loved Thomas the Train, as so many students do. Mm -hmm. How do we make that age respectful? Well, we go into um, the, the school library. Well, this is a middle school, so we don't have Thomas the Train. And again, there's nothing wrong with Thomas the Train. If on your break, on your rock and leisure time, you want to read Thomas, go right ahead. 
But when we went, we, you know, looked for things that were blue because Thomas is blue or um, we looked for trains. And so we studied this, you know, for quite some time. And then from there, I was like, well, let's make this like community access. So we actually took like a community outing, a field trip, and we went on the train and we booked what it was like to go on the train. And then we actually took the train to a restaurant and then we were able to use our AAC device and we practiced, you know, ordering whatever we wanted at the restaurant look back at our train ticket. Okay. It's time to go back. We got back on the train and we came back to um, the original station where we departed. So there's just so many ways to just, like Ashley said, just diverse, diversize and um, expose learners to the different, you know, opportunities that, you know, may have started like the original interest. I love everything about that. And first of all, I love that you did that kind of field trip. Because we know that that's a feat in and of itself to get buy-in, to get transportation, to get permission slips, to get parent comfort level and allowing all that kind of, I mean, that, I love that that didn't scare you, that this idea, you're like, we're doing this. So are you in or out? I mean, I love it because we have to start pushing boundaries out beyond the classroom, beyond the special ed classroom, into inclusion, into, um, into the community and you know, in and out of the school. So I, I love that example. How much experience do you, either of you have with alternative access? Do most of your kids, are most of your students direct select or do some of your kids have eye gaze or switch access? What is your background with that? Yeah, so we definitely have, when I did work together, you know, with Lauren, um, we did have a variety of students who do use um, different access methods. So yeah, eye gaze, um, switch access, even no tech sorts of methods. Um, so yeah, definitely a variety of different access methods. And that does kind of create some, um, uh, just some different challenges, you know, as educators and how we can make our learning materials accessible, how we can make sure that our students can still, um, engage in those different interventions, whether they're emergent or conventional learners. So if you're doing independent reading, like, how does that work for a child who uses switch access? Like, right. There's, it's not just as easy as like, I'm going to go and pick a book off the shelf and I'm going to go find a cozy spot in the classroom and I'm going to chill out for 10 minutes. You know, it, it's going to look a little bit differently. And so, um, yeah, de- definitely, definitely is a little bit more, um, just, just some different considerations there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like when I think about alternative access, one is time. They're mm-hmm. not going to have as many activations. They're not going to have as many um, responses because mm-hmm. the alternative access alone is, is laborious and you're sequencing through a lot of things. I also think that, um, you know, it does mean sometimes that we are providing multiple choice situations as opposed to just a blank slate. And I think it, we need permission to do some of those things where we're simplifying the tasks so that the participation is real, authentic, and within a timely manner. And I think that's pretty tricky for a lot of teams starting out. Um, what what advice do you have for people that have, for the first time, somebody with alternative access in AAC? Yeah, um, I think that I'll tell you the last place. I don't want to say the last place I would start, but I think that the the trickiest place in my experience for buy-in, which is kind of circling back around to a previous question, is independent writing. I think that that's something that's really, really hard for people to wrap their head around. Like, I'm just going to have them write a bunch of letters and I'm not going to give them a model and they don't have to copy. Like, forget it. I'm not doing this. I don't understand it. 
But then mm-hmm. you add in alternative access in the middle of that. And it's like, whoa. Right. <laughs> so so I would say we're going to get there, right? But that wouldn't necessarily be the place that I would start. I might right. start with something like shared reading. Yeah. I might start with something like, let's learn about like what a switch interface is going to look like. Can we set up some like really preferred book choices that, you know, a learner could kind of scan through and say like, I want to read about a, B, or C today. Oh, I want right. to pick C. All right, let's click on that. You know, I think setting it up and really simplifying it um, for um, for for your staff, I think is is key. If it's going to take like 15 minutes for me to get this set up, and then I'm going to get two mm-hmm. minutes to do it, and then I have to set it like back down, that's, it's just, it's not going to happen. It's not going to mm-hmm. happen. It's going to feel like too much work. So mm-hmm. as much as we can kind of pave that road and make it easier for them to get things set up and get things rolling and then just building. So maybe it starts, you know, with independent reading and we're just showing like, this is how you can get a book set up. This is how you can do a read aloud, you know, get the, you know, audio set up, or this is how we can pull up a YouTube video and turn on the captions. That way they have at least some access or, you know, exposure to print via that method. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's I think where where I would start, but just thinking about not stopping there. I think that as you kind of add in some of these different components, so you're adding in like independent writing, it feels like a lot. Um, but there's so many different resources out there. I I truly think that for so many people, they just don't know where to look. Right? right. They, there's so much information out there now. It's hard to know where to look and what's good information and what really should I be doing. You know what's what's not as good of you know um, what's not a good source. So um, that, I mean, that, even the Google search. Are you saying augmentative and alternative? Al- uh, communication with alternative access to literacy. I mean, you have to know all the right words mm-hmm. to even find that resource, right? Exactly. So, yes. And right. so many people, so many people just aren't haven't haven't wrapped, you know, or, or considered maybe um the idea that we can write when we can't write with a traditional right. kind of pencil. That yeah. that that in and of itself is a really big mindset shift for a lot of people, myself included. You know, I think when I first heard that, I was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> you know. So, um, I think that just starting there, you know, starting um starting as simple as we can and and building building momentum from there, I think is as a good a good plan. Yeah, yeah, with some of my kids with complex bodies, and I, you know, I'll have birth to three kind of kids, like maybe kids around two or three, and they, the, and the moms, and I do a lot of home visits, by the way, so I'm mostly talking to parents, and they're like, oh, he really likes books, and I'm like, great, by the way, that says a lot about their mm-hmm. intellect, their interest, their creativity, their readiness to learn, like so many things when a parent says they like books, just right off the bat, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, so what does shared reading look like with him? And she's like. Um, well, you know, he just wants to turn the page, but he's too spastic to do that. And it was, we talked about, okay, how are there ways to do that? But what about having a switch recorded with a reoccurring phrase and he's part of the reading. And if the book doesn't inherently have, but he was still hungry, right. From a hungry caterpillar or something like that. What if, what if you can say, I wonder what happens next? What if that, instead of turn the page, like, how do we, how do we create this to be more, more um, inclusive, more inquisitive, more interactive. And then by the way, when you record, when you record like a reoccurring phrase, and I, I, we use the book, um, get little penguin gets the hiccups and you have to yell boo to, to scare him. And B O O is the only word on the page. And I'm like, record boo. And then when he hits that switch say, did you read that? So I think the other thing is, is identifying what reading is and identifying with, with very young children, you are a reader. We would not hesitate 
if, if a child who is verbal said boo, even though we know they didn't read that word because they just know the sequence of the story, we would not hesitate to say, nice reading, good job, you're so smart, you read that. And I think from the very beginning of culture around literacy and um, disability, we don't identify verbally that you are a reader, you are a writer, and we have to, they have to believe they are before they become that, just like all things in humanity, in human nature, right? You have to believe you are capable of something before you actually can. So yes. I think that that starts um, with, and that that's no different with alternative access, right? Um, yeah. Unless the shared reading start point. What about you, Lauren? What, 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 what strategies do you have for alternative access? Um, the same, you know, kind of building off of what you were saying, um, and common phrases that you might say, um, that's already kind of hooked up to the switch, right. Um, that can be generalized across settings like, Ooh, I really like that or yes, or no way. Um, Mm -hmm. so that way, you know, across different settings or across different, um, uh, opportunities, they're always, you know, able to make comments or, um, participate in in the conversation mm-hmm. but it's general enough where it's not like it, where it has to be specific to um like necessarily a text yeah right. caroline right. musselwhite has she's got these yeah. really great resources for um social scripts using um multiple message devices so um just it, being able to program a different sequence of messages that's related to either a literacy activity. She has one that's on pranks, which is hysterical, but it's like, you're kind of, you're kind of co-constructing this with the learner. So if you're doing it during a literacy activity, it could be like, maybe you're doing something for a letter of the day and you've got somebody that's using, you know, switch access. Um, maybe they're using, you know, one of those multiple message devices, not as their robust system. I think sometimes people hear this and they're like, what are you doing? And it's like, no, we can use, you know, single message output devices and multiple, exactly. you know, single message. Those devices are wonderful. They're Darn. wonderful supplements to communication. So don't hear that and think that that's kind of all we're using. They're wonderful, especially when you're teaching switch access to switch users. Right. But programming something in there like, hey, everybody, it's time to go get your, you know, letter books. What letter are we talking about today? Oh, I know it's going to be letter A. Letter A represents the sound A, you know, and they can go through and have a very active communication role using those those sorts of devices. That's kind of, you know, even separate from literacy instruction, but just giving them a way to communicate during those activities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. That's a great yeah. starting point for alternative access for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you guys, as we wrap up, I want to hear a little bit about, um, Anything, any of the work you guys are doing now, is there anything you want us, the listeners to hear about or check out? You you mentioned um, your posts, Ashley, and um, we know you guys are probably busy preparing for another school year and all that, but um, yeah, let us know what, what do you want people to know about what you're doing? What are your next steps and how do people find you if you, if you um, have information? Sure. So um, I'm continuing to teach in the secondary setting, um, uh, my high schoolers. And I can't believe that we're already starting like as soon as we are, like, I can't believe that it's already August. Um, (laughs) I try to attend or jump on as to as many um, webinars as I possibly can or listen to podcasts. Um, And if I'm fortunate to be a part of it, that would be amazing. Um, 
I just actually came back from Isaac um, in Cancun and learned, oh my gosh, just from the very, very best. Um, and I would love to, you know, share that experience with whoever is interested um, or is listening. Uh, I do have a professional page on Instagram and it's Mrs. Lauren Fur. Um, I also have a threads account. I'm still learning <laughs> what the threads is. Um, it's the same, it's the same handle, uh, Mrs. Mrs. Lauren Fur. And I really just enjoy um posting things that we're doing in the secondary setting. Um, that's literacy based, um, that's community based. And honestly, I enjoy following other people because I think that teachers make the best thieves. I think that you can just share, you know, take each other's ideas and run with it. Um, it, 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 everybody wins. Um, so that's, that's kind of where I'm continuing to go. Yeah. It'd be so fun to check out your, your posts and yeah, see what you guys are doing now. That's exciting. Ashley, how about you? Um, yeah, so I, I'll be honest, I have made a really big transition this year. So I'm no longer employed directly by a school district, but I'm doing a lot of consulting and coaching within school districts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm doing um, a lot of different speaking engagements and trainings. So um, I I would love to connect if anybody is interested in learning more or getting um, some feedback as far as what that could look like. Um, I have a website, it's ashleylaracy.com and, um, you can find me there. I'm on Instagram at Ashley Laracy. Um, I've got a couple different things, a couple different speaking engagements coming up, um, that are more for bigger organizations. I'm going to do a pre-conference at Talking AAC. Um, that's going to be all about, um, AAC and older learners. Um, there definitely is going to be some literacy infused into that just because mm-hmm. that's art. And (laughs) that's, that's, you know, a lot of what I do. Um, but then I'll be at the conference as well in Michigan, um, later on, I think it might be, it's, it's, I think it's in October. Um, so yeah, that's, um, I'm, I would love to connect. I love to connect with people on social media and answer questions or just, um, problem solving. Are you talking about closing the gap? Closing the gap. No, talking AAC. Yeah. Talking AAC. Are you familiar with that one? No, I when I don't know the Michigan one. Oh, okay. So talking AEC is great. Um, it's um I'm I'm it's hosted by I know Rachel Langley is a big part of it or was a big part of it. Oh, is it all online? It's so the pre-conference is online. Um, and then the actual conference is in person. Um, okay. so that's it's a two-day conference. It's actually really, really affordable. I want to say it's like a hundred dollars. So um, yeah, definitely I would check that one out if you're interested. There's gonna be um a lot of good sessions there. Mm-hmm. Great. We can't wait to hear more from both of you. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I learned a lot just listening to you and I hope our listeners enjoyed it as much as we did. Yes. Thank you so much for um, inspiring all, all instructors in AAC and literacy, but in particular, those working in secondary, this is amazing conversation. Thank Thank you. you.